Hello. Now, in this episode, I'm actually kicking off a three-part episode series, and it's my conversation with David Keane from Solve My Claim. Solve My Claim provides expert support and assistance to anyone that is struggling with their insurance claims. And having gone through this personally, which I'll share a little bit more about in a minute, I'm so glad to be introducing David and Solve My Claim to you, because if they'd existed when we were going through this, I would have just jumped at the chance to use them. Now, if you are looking at your home and contents insurance policy, if you need to purchase home and contents insurance policy, or if you're unfortunately making a claim because of recent events on your insurance policy, what David will be sharing is essential knowledge so that you don't get caught out. David is an experienced and wise voice to help you navigate what can seem confusing. And especially during the stressful time of making a claim, this is going to be such helpful guidance. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Welcome to season 12 of the Get It Right podcast called Rebuild and Build Better. This season includes a range of conversations with some fantastic experts and professionals, and we're diving into a range of topics related to rebuilding after bushfires, building or renovating in bushfire-prone areas, and more generally, designing and building more resilient homes. This season of the podcast has been inspired by one of our Undercover Architect course members who has over 20 years experience in disaster recovery and saw the need, given our recent summer bushfires in Australia, for a resource to help people rebuilding their homes after bushfire. He's been a great help to me in connecting me with information and people I can now share with you. You can see video versions of all of our interviews, as well as get a copy of the full transcripts, plus loads more helpful resources for your journey on the Undercover Architect website. Head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash rebuild for all the info you need to rebuild and build better. Now let's get on with the episode. So as I said up front in this episode, we're going to hear from David Keane from Solve My Claim. And I just wanted to give you some background about Solve My Claim so you understand the context of our conversation. So David is the director of Solve My Claim and he's been involved in the insurance industry, primarily in the area of claims management, loss adjusting and assessing services for more than 24 years. And during this time, he was constantly amazed at how many people came to him with insurance problems, complaints, disputes and claims problems. And in every instance, he was able to resolve those claims and help those people. And he realised that there was nowhere for these people to turn and that this realisation actually started the process that resulted in the creation of Solve My Claim in 2014. So Solve My Claim exists to provide expert guidance and it's really about helping you navigate through claims disputes and problems that can be difficult to resolve. Many people feel disempowered when they're making an insurance claim because the company has a team of experts acting for them and you are all on your own. Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Solve My Claim is actually levelling the playing field and ensuring that you have the best possible opportunity to solve your claim. Now, personally, and I've got more information about this in a future episode, but I wanted just to touch on this because I do talk about it in our interview. My husband and I, we actually spent 13 months once battling our insurance company in order to secure our claim. So, 
Uh, there were storms that went through the gap in Brisbane in November 2008, and our home actually suffered a fair amount of damage during that storm, including uh, having a large silky oak tree that was in our back garden fall on the roof of the house. Now, after dealing with our insurer and then having to go through their underwriter and then having to go to the ombudsman, Uh, over a 13-month period, we finally received a settlement that was actually over five times the initial claim offer that we'd been presented with. And it was actually the amount that we were finally uh, offered after that 13-month battle. It actually reflected what the true loss of um, damage and and uh, and yeah, what we what what we'd had to, I suppose, work on. So, you know, it was a great result, but. It was all up. It was 13 months of stress and of battle, and it needed such huge determination and resourcefulness and tenacity from us. We ended up with a massive folder that was thick with letters and schedules and quotes. I was actually pregnant, um, with, and I had our second bub during this time. And after the storm, we were only left with one room in the house that was livable, and we were also in the middle of a renovation. So we were sort of having to madly kind of fix up the damage to the house at our own, at our own expense, navigate this insurance claim, finish the renovation, get ready for the arrival of the second bub. If Solve My Claim had existed, I would have used them in a heartbeat. It was such a massive undertaking for us. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's something I wouldn't want to have to go through again. Now, with the recent bushfires in Australia, and then there's also been other significant weather events, there's been hailstorms, there's been flooding, many homeowners are now dealing with how to move on and how to navigate the insurance process to actually enable them to rebuild and to restore some normalcy to their lives. Now, if this is your situation, I am so sorry that you've had to go through this, and I'm so sorry if you're still battling your insurance company to get what you're fairly entitled to. David Keane's actually helped many homeowners get much better outcomes comes from their insurers and be in a better position to plan their recovery. And in fact, they've achieved more than $35 million worth of increased claim settlements in the last three years. Like it's insane. All done with just understanding what you have to do, how you have to argue your case and what the rules and the policies actually mean and um, and set you up for. So in part one of our conversation, you'll actually hear why Solve My Claim exists and some specific things to know about insurance claims involving total loss and your sum insured and the specific policy inclusions that can give you some extra scope um, as well as possible additional benefits clauses that may actually help you Uh, get a better outcome. And then there's also information about how to access early cash settlements that are being offered or how to assess whether they're what you want to do for your property. So let's hear more. Well, David, it's awesome to have you here. I know that you're going to be sharing a wealth of information uh, with everyone because you have a huge experience and knowledge base when it comes to this topic and helping homeowners deal with, I suppose, their insurance and just general information around how do we navigate the world of insurance so that we make sure that we're fully protected and managing our risk. Now, um, looking through a lot of your information online, I'm going to put resources for Solve My Claim in all of the links as well so that everybody can find you. You talk a lot about the fact that people, um, when they've experienced total loss, they might just assume that they'll just get the total sum that they've insured for, but that's not always the case. And I know with the thousands of homes that were lost in Australia's bushfires over the 2019-2020 period, you know, there'd be some that would be thinking, well, it's okay, I could just get then the amount that I've got. Can you talk through why that assumption is not necessarily correct and some of the different definitions that happen around this whole kind of total um, total sum insured versus, the you know, the reasonable cost to rebuild? 
Sure. Okay, so I guess the first thing is most policies have a fairly similar wording around this area, and that is that in the case of a loss, so it's not just a total loss, but any any loss, that the insurance company will, at their option, repair, replace, or give you the cash amount that it would cost them to repair or replace the damaged item. Now, that that goes for whether it's a, a, just a damaged part of the home or if the in, entire home is damaged. And so what that means is if, hypothetically, the insurance company says that their builder can rebuild your home for, say, $400,000 and you've got a 600000 sum insured, you're not automatically entitled to the 600000 just because your home's been written off. Uh, you're entitled to, uh, by the terms of the policy, what it would cost the insurance company to replace the house. Um, now, in, in principle, I have no problem with that, but the issue becomes that many times when builders will quote, will provide a quote, and, and they'll use that as a basis for the settlement, we all know that that quote's going to come to bring with it variations and all sorts of changes throughout the repair process. So that 400000 is very unlikely to be the final figure. And yet, if, if your house is a total loss, you can't go through that repair process and do those variations as you go because the house has been valued at that. So you're actually only entitled in principle to what it costs them. Uh, on the other hand of that too, on the other side of that, is if it costs them more than your sum insured to rebuild the home, you won't necessarily get the additional because there are limits on the policy. And there are a number of reasons, which we might talk about a little bit later, as to why it might be more than your sum insured. But re I think many people just assume that, okay, I've insured for 600, house is destroyed, I'm going to get 600. And that's actually not, in many cases, the way it's going to work out. Yeah, I can already feel the kind of frustration rising in me because I think of our home, you know, and um, you know that we were kind of prepping for evacuation in November and my husband and I were going, okay, let, yep, what, what's the place insured for? All right, yeah, it's enough. If this place went up in, you know, flames and we lost everything, that would be enough for us to replace what we have here. But we wouldn't rebuild what we have. We would build something different, you know, so, and it's that, it's that thing of where's the line of the insurance company getting to have a say in you've been paying premiums all this time based on that amount. So it's <laughs> yeah. And and where and where it becomes very unfair in my view is that the insurance company put all the onus onto you. So the onus to get the sum insured right is on you. So if you overinsured, you're not entitled to any refund. If you underinsured, well, that's bad luck. That's you, you didn't insure for enough. And so I think that the the real uh, unfair aspect to the whole contract, in my opinion, is the the let's call them the educated party, the knowledgeable party, being the insurance company. They have expertise at their fingertips, and and they it would be a lot easier for them to understand and to establish what your home is worth. But they put it all onto the uneducated or the unknowledgeable party to the contract, the homeowner who really probably has no idea what the home's worth, and they say, well, it's up to you to get it right. If you get it wrong, well, you bear the consequence. And so that's what makes it so unfair. If, if it was a matter of, okay, we've all established that you've overinsured, so let's give you a refund and premium for the last five years, but that's not going to happen. Um, or alternatively, if it's underinsured, and some policies will have, um, they'll have additional benefits where maybe there's a 10 or 20% increase on your sum insured in certain cases. So there's, to an extent, there's a limited amount of, of I guess, coverage or, or uh, um, uh, you know, a, a, like a buffer that's built into some policies, but they are the exception rather than the rule. So, okay, so you, you've had this total loss or you've had significant damage how does the assessment claim, the assessment process sort of start to roll out? You know, you're standing, looking at, surveying what's happened. You call your insurer. How how does that kind of process start to unfold for the the person who's dealing with this? 
Sure. And that really depends on the insurance company as to the exact nature of it. But in, in principle, uh, the insurance company will appoint an assessor or a loss adjuster to that claim. Sometimes they'll just get their builder. Um, and and I'll, I'll use the term panel builder a fair bit. Panel builder is just builder who is on the insurance company's builder's panel. And they refer to them as panel builders. So it's one of the insurance company's chosen builders. And sometimes the panel builder will actually be used as the assessor. They'll come out to assess the claim, to provide a quote, to do everything, which has a lot of dramas of itself because the builder may be a highly qualified builder but have no idea with insurance policy coverage, for example. Um, so by rights, it should be a separate party to the builder who comes out to assess the claim uh, or to adjust the claim. So a loss adjuster uh, will manage the claim from inception right through to completion, whereas an assessor will just come out and assess the damage and, and uh, prepare a scope of works and, and outline what repairs are required. So uh, assessing is part of the loss adjuster's role, but it's only a part of it. So anyway, the, the first step is that either an assessor or a loss adjuster will generally be appointed. Uh, they will then work with the builder if they're not the builder themselves. They'll sometimes get expertise like a building consultant or an engineer or various expertise to try and establish, first of all, the cause of the loss uh, in, a, in something like a bushfire. That's pretty straightforward. Uh, but where, where issues are arising too is that a lot of policies will cover uh, fire damage as long as there was flame, but not just for smoke. And so there are, as well as the thousands of homes that have been damaged by the fires, the flames, how many have had smoke right through them and, and really in many ways are uninhabitable or, or certainly are stinking of smoke, and yet your policy technically can say, well, there was no flame in your home, so you're not covered. Uh, and so they, they establish cause and whether or not the claim is covered. That's step one. Once the claim is accepted as being uh, indemnified or covered, then they'll look at what is the nature and the extent of the damage. So how much is the damage? Is it total loss? Is it repairable? They'll go through those steps. Do we need expertise to establish the value of the repair? Uh, once they've established that value, they'll, by rights, go ahead and either repair it or they'll look at how to settle the claim from your perspective. Now, you mentioned earlier, sometimes people will want to rebuild differently, uh, understandably. And so in many cases, there can be a legitimate request for cash settlement rather than the insurance company doing the, the building on your behalf. Um, and, and that itself is quite a complex issue, which is probably worth discussion uh, at some point throughout our conversation today as to which way people should go because there's no easy answer. It really depends on circumstances. But that's the, the, the general flow of a claim is the claim is assessed, uh, the loss is established as either yes, it's covered or no, it's not, and these are the reasons. If it is covered, then the extent of the damage is assessed and then the repair process or the settlement process takes place. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, no, we'll, we will definitely dive into that process of the, taking the settlement versus uh, involving the insurer in the repairs or the rebuild. So, David, I've seen a lot of the reports, particularly from the Victoria 2009 fires. I've been researching a lot of what happened in the aftermath of that. And there was a lot of talk at that time about insurance companies kind of swooping in and really pushing people to accelerate themselves through that assessment process and then settling claims, handing out checks basically so that they could walk away. And a lot of homeowners who had suffered huge amount of trauma and loss and not really being in a state to make informed or strategic decisions about their future, then kind of stuck with whatever they'd been given and in a real, you know, in a far worse position than they were before the whole thing started. So how have you seen, you know, that potentially for some of the disasters that we've been experiencing lately? And what's your advice around that process of dealing with your insurance company in that kind of really traumatic state? 
Sure. Yeah, look, there's there's a lot of those cases. Uh, and and uh, the 2009 fires, uh, I think, the, were they the Y River fires that you're referring to? Yeah, yeah the Y River fires were actually... Yep. Yeah, they were highlighted in the Royal Commission, actually. I was down there with a couple of my cases, and uh, that that was one of the big issues that the Commissioner took, particularly uh, Amy or AAI, to task about, because in their case, it was one step worse. They they tried to get people to accept early settlements on a policy that didn't even have a sum insured. It had what they called complete replacement cover, CRC, and so uh, in the way it had been advertised was no matter what it costs us, we'll rebuild the house. But what it worked out to be was, okay, our builder says 300 grand, we're not actually going to rebuild the house, here's 300 grand, grand now go away. Um, and so people were, were significantly affected by those decisions. Um, you have a different approach from different insurance companies. Some won't go for those early settlements and they want to try and get everything right. And, and the, the alternate problem is you end up 12 or 18 months down the track with no settlement. Uh, but the, when, when you're offered easy and quick money from an insurance company, I would always advise people, don't take the easy or quick money, particularly if it's a settlement. If it's emergency funds, different story. Uh, a good insurance company should have already offered people five or 10 or 15 grand of emergency funds to start replacing contents and just start the process of getting your life back. But And I'm not referring to that type of payment. So after that, when you're looking at settlements, if it's an easy and quick settlement, and if you don't have independent verification that that cost is both fair and reasonable uh, and complete, uh, then don't take it under any circumstance. It can be easy to think, oh, three or 400,000, yep, that's plenty of money. I'm sure I can rebuild for that. But if you haven't done the homework and you then find out that it's 700,000 and you've accepted a settlement and more particularly if you've signed a release, which many insurance companies ask you to sign, you may not be able to come back for any more, even if you would have been entitled to it. So I would always urge caution. And, and one thing that, that I say in many of my uh, conversations and, and posts is just because an insurance company tells you something doesn't make it right. Now, it doesn't make it wrong either, but it, it's just the insurance company's perspective. And you are the homeowner. You are the one who has uh, taken out a policy. You're the customer. And you are entitled to everything that you've been paying thousands of dollars for over many years. Now, I don't mean that in a mercenary sense. You don't go after them for every possible cent and you know, then some more. I'm not talking about that. But what I am talking about is an insurance company is in this business for their own interests, not for yours. And understand that very clearly. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's business. Most businesses are in business for a profit. So understanding that then, if they offer you something quickly and easily, you've got to ask yourself, is there something behind this? Uh, are they saving money themselves from otherwise what they would be up for if we went and got all of the assessments and, and the, the bushfire assessments and everything else that's required? Um, is this money too easy and too quick? And so I would always say get independent verification of anything you are told, particularly when it comes to costs, scopes or, or a repair process. Yeah, that's great advice. I think that um, I know that when we went through the gap storms and it was, you know, obviously a far less significant uh, you know, endeavour for us than it was for some people in that area and also particularly for the fires. Um, but it was quite quick. It was quite amazing how quickly the insurer kind of swooped in, you know, figured out what was going to happen and then offered us this 
check, which was just ridiculously small. I mean, and we were fortunate that we had some clue about what it was going to cost to kind of rectify the damage that had occurred to the house. And then when you started to actually look at it in detail and see all the exclusions of what had not been considered or included in that in that settlement, all the red flags started going up. But um, yeah, it's... I can just imagine for people who have lost everything, having the wherewithal to kind of access the the bandwidth to do that can be very challenging. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because And this is something that insurance company staff can sometimes forget because they do this every day. Your claim is one of probably 300 sitting on that claims officer's desk. And so you, this is uh, this is second nature to them the whole claim process, they know what's, what to expect, they know what you know, all of those ramifications. But they forget that you don't. This is probably the only time in your life that you've been through this. Most people are incredibly traumatised, incredibly stressed, and with, with, a, with a distinct lack of knowledge in this very, spe- uh, very uh, specialised area of insurance and rebuilding. And so, and and that's not in any way denigrating the consumer. The consumer doesn't need to have that knowledge because they pay for experts to give them that expertise. Uh, but we, within that knowledge vacuum, in some cases, insurance companies can sometimes forget to uh, consider the needs of the client or consider the fact that the client may even say or do things that technically might be wrong or technically might be incorrect because they're undergoing such a stressful situation. And they can sometimes be judged for that. You know, oh, you told us this three months ago. Now you're saying this. What do you mean? You're, you're lying. It's insurance for a life. I've seen it all. <laughs> uh, and, and I spent 20, 20 odd years on the insurance company side of the fence. So I managed claims in insurance companies for 11 years. I've been an assessor for 13 years. So uh, I, I understand it from both sides. And the reason I started to solve my claim was because I saw so many people caught in, in a trap that was beyond them. You know, they, they, were, they had all this expertise in essence acting against them, acting for the insurance company, and they really didn't know where to turn. Yeah. No, it's, and that's the thing. You're ultimately just wanting to get what you've paid for and trusted that you would, would be you would be entitled to after all these years of paying premiums. So, yeah, and you're right. The insurers on the other side protecting their shareholders and their their profit margin. So, yeah. Now, in terms of you know, if you're if you know that your insurance policy isn't enough for the damage, if you've realised, okay, for example, you've had total loss with these fires. You built before, perhaps the bow ratings came through your area. You know that your whatever you're going to rebuild is going to need to measure up to a whole new standard of construction um, and it's going to cost more than what you had currently insured for. You talked a little bit before about additional benefits. What's your scope with this in terms of seeing that underinsured amount? Yeah, look, it really depends on the policy. And this this is, I guess, a, a, preface, a preface to my answer is one thing that I do come across many times is people actually having no idea what they're insured for and no idea what their policy says. And and what constantly amazes me is that we go and spend a million dollars on a home and then try and save 50 bucks on the insurance uh, and without, without even looking at what we're actually foregoing. So with, with that preface, uh, it, it's so um, it's so interesting um, to see the difference in the benefits that policies offer. Uh, and so generally, and most people look at an insurance PDS and, and their eyes glaze over because it's 100 pages and they think, oh, I'm not going to read 100 pages. But you actually don't really need to. Uh, a lot of that is stuff that is not uh, critical uh, and there are critical areas that everybody must read in their policy, even if you're not going to read the full thing. Now, one of those is a section that will usually be entitled additional benefits or something similar. It'll usually be found just after that there's a section saying what events are covered, what type of loss events are covered. And after after that, you'll see the additional benefits. 
in that section, uh, some policies will cover, for example, when a catastrophe has been declared. And, and what they mean by that is by the insurance council, not necessarily by the government, but the insurance council has certain parameters where they declare an event to be a catastrophe event. The bushfires absolutely are. Um, several of the hailstorms that have hit uh, various parts of the country recently have been declared uh, catastrophe events. Uh, many normal storms aren't. So if something's declared a catastrophe, some policies will cover you maybe an additional 10%, 20% over and above your sum insured if it's a total loss and the sum insured is not adequate. There are some areas that, that uh, and I should say, in the additional benefits, when you look at that section, there, there's usually a spiel straight under the heading, and it'll tell you whether these benefits are in addition to your sum insured or included in your sum insured. That's a critical factor. Some policies will cover, for example, 10% over and above your sum insured for demolition and removal of debris. Um, now, a good insurance company should tell you that right up front and should say, okay, you've insured for 400000 but you've also got forty grand for demolition and removal of debris. I've seen cases where some companies haven't told you that. And if you don't know, you've missed out on forty grand that you're entitled to. Um, some also cover additional uh, um, – the one particular benefit that's in many of those policies says that uh, any statutory or regulatory requirements in respect to compliance, uh, upgrades, building code, NCC, National Construction Code, they call it now, um, which includes things like bushfire uh, attack level, the BAL ratings. It includes things in Queensland, for example, like cyclone ratings. There's all sorts of changes to the National Construction Code every couple of years. And homeowners are not required to continually upgrade their house every two years for obvious reasons. And so most homes are not compliant right now with today's National Construction Code. This is a big issue in the bushfire areas because many of those homes were built before, as you pointed out, the, the bushfire attack um, uh, level uh, uh, assessments and, and um, standards were, were introduced. And so rather than people's rebuild costs being less than their sum insured in this event, we're finding many have nowhere near enough sum insured in the policy to cover what the rebuild's going to cost. And, and that, that can be even a bigger problem. Uh, it, it can be uh, incredibly annoying if the insurance company goes to pay you out less than your sum insured, uh, but if you can rebuild the house for that, then at least you can probably live with that and move on. If you've only got 50% covered and it's going to cost you twice as much to rebuild, that that can be catastrophic for people. Um, and so it's, it's critical. I, I would say probably the two biggest sections in your policy you must know uh, intimately well is what events are you covered for? Um, what additional benefits does your policy cover you for and what specific exclusions are listed in your policy. If you don't at least read those three sections, uh, then you, really you're setting yourself up for a massive fall. Yeah, that's great advice. I know that the um, the whole issue around when we went through the gap storms was this whole thing about what was a storm-created opening versus what was you know what because if it wasn't a storm created opening then it wasn't going to be covered and so it was it was this kind of whole game of semantics of where the tree fell on the roof versus whether where the water that poured in the hole created by the tree poured through the floorboards into the garage below and destroyed tools that apparently wasn't going to be covered and it was just yeah I can see it is it's and and you're right people get those um PDSs and they're big wheel, unwieldy documents that just seem full of jargon that nobody understands but it's great that you've pointed out those specific sections to pay attention to. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and I think that you mentioned the storm crowd openings. That's probably one of the big ones that we argue quite a lot because, in essence, what that means is unless the storm has caused an opening to your property, then you won't be covered for resultant damage. So generally, an insurance policy won't cover you for the cause. So let, let's take the storm as an example. Let's say you, maybe you've got an old roof, there's a bit of rust on there, a few little maintenance issues like most roofs would have, and then a storm comes and water comes in generally you'd be covered for the resulting water damage, but you've got to fix your roof. Uh, unless you're dealing with a cyclone where the strong winds have lifted the roof, therefore the roof is now part of the resultant damage. So your policy only covers you for resultant damage. But depending what that cause is, if they deem that the, the proximate cause or the, or the dominant cause factor is the condition of your roof rather than that storm, they'll also deny the resulting damage. And so an argument we have with insurance companies all the time is what was the proximate cause? Um, taking the bushfire example, you know, I talked before about uh, fire is covered as long as there's flame. Now, uh, the insurance companies can use semantics, but we can as well, because unless, in my view, unless that policy says that there has to have been flame at your property, then we can say, well, there was flame. There was flame. Maybe the flame didn't damage the property, but the, the, the fire damage is covered where there was flame. And so uh, a lot of this is an argument in semantics. And unfortunately for the average consumer, it's not something that they've dealt with before. And and even when they try and go through the dispute process with the insurance company or with the ombudsman, AFCA, uh, they'll they'll try and argue on the basis of the, their emotional reasoning. So, oh, this is unfair. I've been with the company for 20 years. Uh, and, and that's not going to win you a dispute. The dispute's going to be won or lost on the terms of the PDS. Um, and so, yeah, well, there, there are many cases. I was just actually reading the AFCA uh, figures that they've just put out for uh, 2019 disputes. And for many of the insurance companies, by the time those disputes went right through to, to the AFCA, the Ombudsman panel, uh, something like 75% were deemed in favour of the insurance company. Now, when we go to AFCA, when we go to AFCA, we're, we're winning or we're having decisions in the favour of the client at well over 70 or 80% of the time. And the only difference there is is the basis of the argument. Uh, and so it's, it's one of my little bugbears is, I'm often told by insurance companies and by AFCA, well, people shouldn't need a, a consultant to come and, and run that process for them or, or a, an advocate to run that process for them because it's a free service. And it is a free service, but there is such a, a, a disparity in the knowledge base of the two parties. So it's like it's like you defending yourself in, in a Supreme Court criminal case without having any knowledge about the legal system. But yeah, possibly you can win. But really, you're going to get completely trounced by a good defence lawyer most of the time or a good prosecutor most of the time. And and that I guess that's my concern for people is that they're expected to, to know all of these things and, and to respond at the level of the insurance company without having that knowledge. Yeah, this is why I, I'm just so glad to be able to introduce you to the UA community because if Solve My Claim had existed when we were going through you know, our situation, like I know that we were very fortunate that we managed to find a forensic engineer who lived locally. He was a man that was in his 80s and he was just passionate about helping us level the playing field basically. So he helped us navigate and understand. And because as an architect, I've often argued town planning 
law and gone, okay, well, if we're going to object a, de a development application, we have to do it with the rules of the town planning and actually go through. So I had that framework in mind to then look at, okay, let's look at the insurance policy and how do we use the insurance policy to argue for what we've, we're asking for rather than them using it against what we've asked for. But that was, it was 13 months of our life and it was, it was this roller coaster of being worn down and us just, my husband and I just being stubborn and being supported as well by, by people around us. So I think that for Solve My Claim to exist and be able to help people navigate what is something that is just such a, a bottomless well of, uh, of kind of information and knowledge, I think is, um, is so needed. So it's just brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the last the last draw for me was uh, the 2011 Brisbane floods. Uh, I was at the time assessing. Uh, I was subcontracting to one of the major assessing companies who had a contract for one of the major insurance companies. I'll leave names out of it. Um, we we had something like a thousand claims to assess. I had a team that was that I was leading. We knew that all of those claims would be denied because flood wasn't covered. We weren't allowed to tell the people they would be denied. We had to say, oh, look, it's still being established and we need to do the assessment and go through the process to to ensure that the insurance company uh, had the info they needed for any claims that were disputed down the track. But I was going into homes, home after home, knowing that these people's lives are about to be completely overturned and, and they've already had the trauma of the flood and now they've got the trauma of not knowing yet, but soon to find out that their $200,000 worth of damage won't be covered. And there was one couple in particular, it was an old couple, and, and he had Alzheimer's. Um, he'd gone into a into a nursing home, really gone downhill, and so his wife had brought him back home to live the last few months of his life. And then the weeks later, the floods hit. And, and he was just sitting there, and he was just so confused. He didn't know where he was or, you know, and, and it was just seeing that that human toll and i just i'd already for for many years felt really uncomfortable at a lot of what i had seen uh, over throughout my my involvement in the industry and, uh, and and i just thought someone's got to stand up for the little guy somebody's got to jump the fence and and start uh, applying our expertise for the consumer and the following year was when we when we first uh, looked at solve my claim and started putting it in place um and yeah it, it's a uh, it's very rewarding to to know that you can come in and change people's lives because we really are. We're dealing with, in all, in many cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage. If we lose this case, uh, then these people's lives are never going to be the same. The next twenty years is going to be recovering from this loss, uh, and and if we can actually get the decision overturned. And we don't just try for anything. Like if if you're covered, you're covered. If you're not, we we, we can't change the facts to make it that you are. Um, but at least people get an impartial and in, in independent view on, yes, what they're saying is actually correct in this case. Uh, and and I, I find that people can, even in those few instances where we can't help someone, at least they can reconcile a bit more that, okay, I've heard this from a trusted source. It's not just the insurance company giving me spin um, and, and they can get on with life. It actually then empowers you to know that you took some control back as well to, you know, in a situation where you would feel completely out of control. And uh, I, th I think that that's, you know, it's offering a huge solace to people in that situation. I hope you found that helpful. David's such a treasure trove of information, isn't he? And I've actually popped a bunch of links in the resources for you, including information on how you can get in touch with Solve My Claim. Their social media is actually really brilliant to follow and they've got free Facebook groups for the recent disasters that have occurred. So you can find that when you go to their Facebook page, you can see the groups, they're free to join and they have specific conversations around insurance policies in relation to those particular events like hailstorms and fires and those kinds of things. And you can get loads of help. I've 
honestly, the generosity with which Solve My Claim operates is um, it's extraordinary. And one of my UA community and course members actually connected with me about Solve My Claim, not knowing that I'd already sort of touched base with them and was setting up this interview because uh, they had been helped by Solve My Claim at no charge. Just, you know, David had gone ahead and answered a question um, that had been sort of really key for them being able to get a much better result. And so... It's just so it's so awesome to be able to bring you such great people in the industry who are so passionate about really empowering you to get a much better outcome and to get what you're fairly entitled to and have been paying for all this time and uh, so that you can you know have some foundation from which to rebuild on. Now Remember to head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash rebuild. We've got so much information there that we're sharing in the Rebuild and Build Better series. Bookmark that page so that you can come uh, keep checking back uh, because it'll grow as an online hub for anyone that is rebuilding after bushfires or wanting to build better and more resilient homes. Now, in the next episode, David's going to be back for part two and we're going to be talking more specifically about claims. What might happen if you don't want to rebuild what you've lost? This was something for us. I remember when we sort of walked away, looked around and and uh, thought about, you know, if we had to evacuate for the fires and lost everything, we actually looked around and thought, okay, is our insurance policy enough? Would we want to rebuild what we've got? And it's, um, you know, it's something that a lot of people are probably contending with right now. So, and perhaps you've only suffered partial damage to your property. So we're also going to talk about what that might mean for your insurance claim as well. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Bye.